And now for the Black Firehouse Podcast, the only Ghostbusters podcast that discusses props, costumes, sets, and special effects with your hosts, Austin Young and Dan Harshman. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Let's get ready. Switch me on. Good morning, Black Firehouse Podcast uh, listeners. This is Dan Harshman, as always, with his co-host, Austin Young. And we are back for Session 7, Take 2, (laughs) of our (laughs) Ghostbusters Proton Pack Roundtable. So, uh, technical issues aside, how are we doing over there, Austin? You know, we're doing as best we can. At least this is only the second time of us re-recording this episode, yeah. not the the four or five for session six that we had to go through. We'll um, see in we'll see in an hour and a half. We'll we'll see. I have uh, I have my eyes on uh, the recording overview, just waiting for you know one of the little red dots to to disappear or something like that to tell us that there's there's an issue, but. As of right now, it looks like we're in good shape. So um, we, of course, do have our guests, Matthew Burkett and Mikhail Lynn with us. Before we introduce them, though, um, some exciting prop news, Austin. Um, you've been following Mr. Julian Legge's, uh PKE meter build on Spengler's 1984 workbench. Oh, yes. Yes, it's, very much so. It is an absolute labor of love. Um you know, even even before he really started posting his updates there on the workbench, Julian has been uh, meticulously working a Iona conversion into a Ghostbusters PKE meter, and it's gorgeous. It's it's definitely one of the most exciting props I think to have been built because you know before his PKE meter, I think maybe a, there was a Silent Props build that was relatively close, but yeah, I mean, I can only think of maybe two yeah uh you know <coughs> fairly movie accurate pke meter builds that i've seen in you know 20 years it's definitely been a grail prop i mean i kind of feel maybe we would have been further along if mattel didn't release their pke meter yeah for and sure I be- well the the mattel one is actually a you know aside from it being a little bit larger and clunkier and and not having the right inputs in the wings sticking out a little bit more. It's overall a really, really faithful recreation. So if you're still able to get your hands on one, it's a it's an easy way to get a PKE meter, but <clears throat> Well and the irony is that you know, for me, like I was really comfortable <laughs> taking that around, you know, cons or whatever. It's like my PK meter because it's like, oh, it's a toy. If I break it, whatever, I'll get another one. And now it's to the point where it's like, it's so expensive to replace. I don't <laughs> want to take it out anymore. No, I, I have two and I constantly worry because I'm pretty sure the demo batteries are still in my second one. And it's like up in my grandparents' attic. You oh, know, yeah. You, you got to pull those out. Like that's. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Too late now. We'll see what happens. Whatever. Um, but anyhow, so the, the exciting thing is Julian has finished his, his replica, uh, sans minor tweaks and adjustments, but he has released the STL files for purchase on Etsy. Yeah, I saw that. 
um, for like $21, which, which is a steal. So you get the STL files for printing your own faceplate and adjustments that would be needed for an Iona conversion. Um, and then I've also heard rumblings that he is uh, co-partnering, actually, with a member of my franchise, uh, uh, Jason Gleason, who has been working feverishly on doing streamlined electronics for a PKE meter. And from what I understand, they are now in cahoots to release a PCB board that will fit a real Iona. Um, so that means in the foreseeable future, probably within the year, not only will we have Julian's amazing cosmetic upgrades for an Iona, but then we'll have a, a, a drop-in electronics kit for, for that same thing, which could make PKE meters much more accessible to fans who want to build one and build one that is hyper accurate, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I think the only reason why so many people haven't ever built a PKE meter is because it's so uh, challenging and, and intricate and there's so much to it, you know, to do, at least to do something that's fairly accurate. Um, yeah. So yeah, like a, a simplified electronics kit, I think would go a really, really long way and, and it may re- it may it may replace the Maddie PKE meter as the the prominent PKE meter. I, I think the thing I always kind of feel bad about is you know other people have made PKE meters and you know it's like ah well that's that's not right and they're like well can you do better and I'm like no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, that that's I think the the most exciting for for prop news. Let's go ahead and uh, introduce our guests, Austin. Let's do it. All right. So um, his his reputation precedes him. Noted heavy. Good friend of mine. <laughs> uh, big inspiration, of course, um, has really cradled me through a lot of um, my ABCs of learning what it is to, to build a proton pack and getting into Ghostbuster replicas and really helped fire that passion for me, at least on the, the screen accuracy uh, fixation. Uh, Mr. Matthew Burkett, welcome to Black Firehouse Podcast. Why, thank you, everyone. <laughs> this is How you doing today, Matt? Editing the applause Good. right here. I- I'm here I'm here <laughs> to try to retell uh, shitty jokes I did the first time and see if I can get through this in, in, in one piece. Uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> uh, well, I think last time I said uh, I enjoy long walks on the beach and drinking uh, Bloody Marys, but I'm also going to add avoiding exercise. <laughs> well then Fair enough. wouldn't that kind no, of rule but, out the but, long walk <laughs> uh yes <laughs> well, unless it's a very so, slow walk true <laughs> or any or a short walk or a long walk off a short pier anyway uh, <laughs> um so uh yes I, I, i'm uh i've been building proton packs uh since 2004 was the first one i built um i've built i think i have documentation on like at least 12 of them it's some not all of them mine some i've helped other people build and whatnot um i've been doing this for a long time definitely hyper focused on accuracy and trying to replicate what we saw on uh on screen uh probably to the detriment of my own <laughs> mental health at times uh <laughs> just like going crazy staying up too late uh perseverating on that stuff there's that word that i used last time that i know you you enjoy dan um <laughs> uh but no I, I definitely it's uh it's it's a it's a love and a hobby, and uh, I'm running out of wall space. That's for sure, <laughs> for for uh, the work I've done. 
We have such lovely purple walls, you wouldn't want to cover those up with cool proton packs. Specifically, real Ghostbuster packaging purple. Ah, great. So you can live out the rest of your days in a retail package. Yes. There's there's some serious psychological commentary going on there. <laughs> well, to be fair, this is also my theater room, and I needed darker walls for the projector and stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. So our, our second guest, um, also a really, really... Uh, fantastic builder. Um, I always knew him as a screen name, which was Demon Vice Commander for the longest time until somebody was like, hey, have you been talking to Mikhail? I'm like, I don't know who that is. Told me <laughs> the screen name. I was like, wait, I do I do know who that is. Uh, Mikhail Lynn, welcome, of course, to the Black Firehouse podcast for take two of session seven. How are you, bud? Thank you very much. I'm doing great. Always a pleasure to chat and obsess over these d- details and minutia that you know, as Matt said, we sometimes drive ourselves crazy. Well, well, we had so much fun the first time of recording this exact episode. I told you guys we would be doing it again. I just, <laughs> yeah, I had a blast. As well. I, I, I almost feel like the same I feel like we cursed ourselves and we said we should do this again at the end of the recording. <laughs> we'll just do the same the same recording once a week for know. the rest of time. It'll be session seven, exactly. session seven, session seven. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Ghostbusters fan film called Session Seven, where a group of <laughs> Ghostbusters are caught in a Groundhog Day loop and they can't get out. Only if you stop production midway through, and never release anything. No, no, except... no. I'll start a GoFundMe to get it finished, oh. Oh, and then then I won't finish it. Yeah, that sounds like a terrible idea. Anyway, moving on. <clears throat> so first things first. Um, you guys have been following julian's build and and matt you and i we we visited julian back in 2014 he's an incredible guy and has just become probably one of my closest friends um he's okay he's okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've been i've been friends with him since about 2013 or 2014 yeah he's i mean you know prop business aside he's he's a great guy he's he is a great guy he lets sleep on his on the floor of his living room through an earthquake, no less. Yeah. With 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 a deadly spider in the room. <laughs> I don't like, know. There's that... only two things in this country that can kill you. It's this one type of spider and b- wild boar. And I haven't seen one of those spiders in years. And he literally looks down in his living room. He's like, oh, there's one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's one of the great things about, I, I thought, about Julian is, like, he did. He came onto the scene about 2013. And, like, instantaneously, mm-hmm. his drive for quality and networking drew him like immediately to all of us. Um, and he mm-hmm. does that. He just, he networks so seamlessly. He's such a sociable person. And then you have like all, all us introverts. And it's just like, who are you? It's like, well, I'm the wild New Zealander. I'm here to bring you out of your shell and talk about proton packs. Okay, Jules. <laughs> are you ready to confuse my accent with British and Australians? <laughs> <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the PKE that he's released? And just, you know, thereabouts i mean it's flat out perfect i mean what what more is there to say i mean he's been working on that shell for a few years now seems like just it, yeah sanding and priming and filling and sanding just this endless cycle and it, it's perfect i mean you know i mean the the only other pke that i've seen of that caliber was i i guess the one that that silent props mm-hmm. did years ago but did we ever get to really see that one in action? I've just seen photos I, of it. I feel like I've seen video of it in action, but I also mm-hmm. I know that there's details on Julian's build that weren't 
on the Psyland one, um, namely that nub underneath the uh, the adjustment. The race section, back. yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, I did not know that detail until he was just like, hey, <laughs> y'all are blind. <laughs> well, and it's also neat that he's, you know, he's sharing all of this information. And yeah, I, PKE meters could be ubiquitous mm-hmm. pretty soon. They've been kind of the holy grail because there are literally a lot of moving parts to it. That's one of the other things that have been so great about his project is that it embodies, I think, the the overall ethos of Ghostbusters prop community and builders is that mm-hmm. 95% of the time, everybody shares their information, which you do not mm-hmm. get in other prop building communities. Um, you know, and it, there's some stuff that we can't share just because of existing, you know, non-disclosure agreements, you know, a lot of us will learn information and it's not that we're intentionally hoarding it. It's that we don't want to get other people in trouble who are nice enough to share that. Yeah. If like people's jobs are on the line or, or, you know, friendships, you know, you don't want to sacrifice any of that stuff. And it's hard when you're having a discussion about these things and and you say, oh, well, the detail is actually this, but I can't show you. You know, I, I've been on the, the end of that and it's, you know, you find ways kind of carefully around it without violating anything that you can still share the information. That MS, MS like, paint you know, uh, diagrams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I remember back when those uh, terminal reality photos started making the rounds of the, you know, all the, the Murray pack oh, the and bank. all that stuff that was referenced for terminal reality. And I'd gotten a hold of them, but I couldn't show them to anybody. But it revealed, oh, there's labels on the bottom of the gun track. And yep. I remember being in the GB fans chat and being like, hey, guys, there's labels on the bottom of the gun track. And they're like, fuck off. No, there's not. I was like, <laughs> no, there are. And they've been staring us in the face the entire time. Because if you look at the original one sheet poster, they are clear as day on the bottom of Egon's one. But And then it was only a few years ago we found out those gun track labels were actually from a label on the containment unit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are they? I didn't know that. That's awesome. It's that one. It's on the Ecto One A as well. Like at a glance, it always reminds me of like a bank check. It's kind of what it looks like. But yeah, the labels, the slow blow, and all that. Interesting. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and research that. As I just mentioned, that every time I say that, I never do. Yeah, I think I have a photo of that label somewhere from the car. But he can't share it, so don't ask for it. (laughs) That's okay. Just MS Paint. Yes, or you do what Julian did when showing the pop mech and create an entire Maya production out of it. Well, he he, he <laughs> is he is a visual artist uh, artist for Weta, so he has the yeah. skills to do that shit. He's a keyframe artist. Well, and honestly, right. that that's more useful than if if he had just shown a photo because you know the inside of the superhero is just a mess. It's like a rat's nest of wiring. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not really going to do anyone much good. But yeah, an actual animated schematic mm-hmm. is perfect and Matt, yeah it's greatly appreciate that's for sure you got some hands-on time with that pack who me yes yeah very yes jealous. i did very yeah, yeah 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 i got to handle that pack and the murray pack and several of the uh semi-heroes and also the universal studios pack as well <laughs> which is the best one of them all item. yeah i mean uh, i, I love the reflectors universe. on it I love the Universal Studios package. I'm just, uh, it's such a strange thing that Hollywood sent back to Sony and said, hey, this is yours. It's like, nope, <laughs> it's, it's not. The, <laughs> the now, Univers- well, and, 
I was going to say, it was really funny too. Cause like when I first visit the, the, um, the archives, the, the head of the archives was following me around with a notepad, writing down everything I was saying. And he said, Oh, thank God for te telling me that that's from universal. Cause we we're going to start loading these things out for like museum exhibits. And I want to make sure we don't put that one out. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting thing because especially if you look at like the evolution of the universal packs where they start with, you know, stunt castings, fiberglass mm -hmm. stunt castings, and they just get worse and worse, you know, uh, oh, yeah. shallow, shallower and shallower vacuum form pools. And eventually just like Tupperware containers <laughs> screwed down to a piece of plywood <laughs> on a on a camping frame, you know. Oh, so speaking of bad, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but does anyone remember those proton packs that Sony had commissioned for the video mm -hmm. game release? They were trade show they had like the garden hose loom uh cable and such yeah. you and i talked you and i talked to... those were all... go ahead oh go ahead i was gonna say and also one of those i think was also used in zombie land see that's what i thought i couldn't remember for sure but mikhail brought it up to me um a couple of weeks ago and i was like oh yeah i remember that like i'm pretty sure that's in zombie land and i went googling and i could not find any photos of them anywhere I don't remember those at all. <laughs> they, yeah, they're strange. They're, they were Terrible. only at San Diego Comic Con though, because they also had like a present, like a, a booth at New York Comic Con, but they had local people uh, working that. They, but the one at San Diego Comic Con, they had those commission packs sitting there. Didn't they have like screens attached to them to show footage of that? I don't remember. That yeah. I don't remember. It, it honestly is. wouldn't surprise me. I mean, if they stuck like twenty screens in the Ecto One around the same time <laughs> for that same purpose, so. Yeah, goodness. So, all right, guys, we're we're gonna continue on. We're gonna we're gonna go into what's on our workbench. I already know the answer to this from last episode, but we're gonna talk about it again because it's what our our listeners want. What is that thing you're doing? It's technical. It's one of our little toys. The proton pack is not a toy. I guess that's right. Austin. Phoebe pack. Matt. Phoebe Pack. Mikhail. Phoebe Pack. And I finally put uh, thrower lights and sound in my reboot pack. Mikhail, you get to start. So you're yes. working on a reboot pack. Well, I've been working on a reboot pack for about four years now. And it, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to get in the, into the, the politics surrounding the movie. No. But, you know, I enjoy it. It's fun. And, and the, the equipment is really neat. It's, it's visually very different mm -hmm. from anything we've built. And as neat as those packs are aesthetically, they are very badly engineered. They're an absolute nightmare to build. And I've built three of them, and I will never build another one again. <laughs> so you say what, that. What, yeah, you say that, but me and Austin over here. Uh, so what <laughs> makes, what's the remake pack? What, what makes it so difficult to build? Well, the difficult thing is, see, unlike the original hero packs that are a you know, fiberglass shell with everything attached to it, these are all every all of the pieces are attached piecemeal to the motherboard, which in theory sounds great because you can kind of uh, in the movie they they upgrade them and add things to them, but you know when you're working on this limited canvas of you have to fit it you have to make everything fit, it also every part kind of locks every other part in place. So to do any maintenance on the pack, you have to virtually take the whole thing apart. Oh my god! Like the like the Faraday cage is like wedged right there in the middle. Mm -hmm. And you have to take all the project boxes off the tool, the uh, 
toolbox lid, all of that. Uh, and then I thought they just slapped that thing down on it in the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they sort of do that. Well, the one in the movie that was a partially built uh, prop. Yeah, I'm just that for. Yeah, and I'm also just teasing. I've only seen that yeah. movie once, and I got progressively more drunk through it. So, oh my god. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. The the props are cool, but they're there you know there's a lot of 3d printed parts Mm -hmm. uh but the the one that i was working on i i finished the pack in 2018 and then last year well during the start of the pandemic i put the sound kit in it and then about uh, the past couple weeks i've been putting the thrower lights and i cannibalized gb fans light kit uh to do the job and yeah it it works out well can can i ask a legitimate question that uh, snarky comment about the pack um what audio wise, like I like I said, I've only seen that movie once. Is there any major difference audio wise for the pack? Uh, the, it has some the, like the startup and firing sounds are slightly different, but they're they're close enough to where you know the average person isn't going to notice. Okay. Did you uh, do any editing to those audio files? Like, uh... yeah, well, I, I had I was able to get a hold of the actual production files oh, cool. that they used, and I did a little editing to to add some fades and transitions for when you switch between modes and such and then i also put the uh the covers of the theme song that plays during the end credits the walk the moon version just as a nice little fun change to it that's a good cover but i, I always like the soundtrack to that movie but you know yeah it, it had some it had some good ones in it and uh but just a, a lot of stuff like i had to make my own harness for the pack i did my own webbing and all of that that was not fun but you know the pack is wearable it's uh but now with the sound kit in it, it weighs about the same as my my GB one and two hero packs. So. The the webbing I always I, I'm always torn on, and uh, and mostly I'm torn on like I like the visual aesthetics of it. You know, it being brighter, it even looks more comfortable. But mm-hmm. I hate that it's not on a frame. You know, even a more modern frame or a custom made frame. The fact that it, and and what you're saying is that everything is on the motherboard, which is essentially just a Mm -hmm. piece of aluminum with a bunch of holes in it. And everything is attached to that. So there's no way to take off something that's, that's immediately in the way without taking the whole thing apart. Isn't it held on by bolts and like fender washers? Yeah, pretty much every, every part that's on the motherboard has a, uh, they're mostly, number 10 socket head bolts and washers on it is there any like yeah, stiff and... piece to the inside of that that harness or is it all just like a soft fabric uh well the harness is like a big y shape mm-hmm. basically that runs up the back it has a kidney pad with two smaller kidney pads on the belt and then the straps run up and they connect to the frame uh i used for mine i used a combination of uh cordura and orange canvas for it and I, I used car headliner, multiple layers to give it some padding. And even along my back, it's actually not that bad. Well, the reason I ask is I have a Rocketeer pack as well, and it has a leather harness in it. And I very specifically have mine, a piece of aluminum lining the inside of the harness as well, so it can actually oh. have something solid to bolt it to. So, Oh, well, for, for, oh, for attaching the actual harness, yeah. what I did is in, in the movie, they used these, it's so stupid, they have these, like, two and a half inch plastic washers that are holding it on. And even when the packs were out on display, those things got smashed and torn off. So I used some, uh, I, I made the, the accurate plastic washers, but underneath it, I have a slightly smaller uh, 
fender washer okay. for the actual structural integrity. Yeah, I was just curious. And you find that's that's ingenious. I mean, it's a good way to have the, the look that you need while having real structural integrity underneath it. Exactly, well, because those were not well built. They were they were really cobbled together. I mean, both aesthetically they have that, but mechanically they're, yeah, they're badly. Well, I mean, even the final iteration of the pack has like four different versions of the final cut of the movie, you know, like they were constantly changing them and, and fixing them throughout production. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned that you're also working on a Phoebe pack. How's that going? Uh, That's going well. The, the pack itself is, done i just have to put i still have to do the electronics in it and i still have to install the lenses but i usually leave the lenses off the cyclotron lenses and such so when i'm fiddling around with the electronics you can kind of get in there and position it uh, but yeah I, the the whole pack is done i still have to put the neoprene the little uh that six millimeter piece on the uh alice frame padding uh but then i just have the thrower and the loom to do so you know, that'll be, you know, who knows? I, I need to come up with another aluminum thrower for that before I can proceed. So I'm at a bit of an impasse. Okay. That, yeah. yeah. But, yeah I did, <laughs> aluminum throwers I are, are currently uh, at a premium. Like I, I, you know, I see that RJ is starting to, to kind of gear up again and is yeah. getting a little bit of momentum on his workbench, which is, which is really exciting. Um, it is. But there's, there's probably got to be, 20 aluminum thrower requests on his bench right now. It's like a 10 year wait, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You'll get the aluminum thrower when Ghostbusters five comes out. But you know, that is something we, we, we've all discussed before is that sometimes for these, these premium parts, you know, it it is a waiting game and that's, you know, and it's worth the wait. Well, and yeah, it is. And and very specifically, you probably would want one for your Phoebe pack because he made them for the film as well. So that makes it for an accuracy standpoint. And, Right. So Matt, you're uh, you're also working on a Phoebe pack, and you've posted some mm-hmm. photos of that to to Spengler's 1984 workbench. So where are you mm-hmm. in your build? I am the the electronics in the pack itself are done. I'm still working on the ones for the the thrower because um, I'm I'm doing. I didn't have boards printed. I'm just doing point to point ones uh, electronics that I'm doing myself with Arduino, um, and I messed up. <laughs> wiring together uh, uh, two MOSFETs for the flashing lights on the in the barrel. And I fried two pins on my Arduino, so I got frustrated. And I walked away for like two weeks. I need to go back and desolder all that stuff and fix it, which I can do. I've done it. Like I've cobbled together enough electronics over the last like 20 years. I know how to do it. just frustrated me, so I had to step away. But that's the main thing I'm working on. I'm still waiting for it not to be below freezing in the Northeast of the United States so I can actually paint. I also need to be able to get out in my workshop because I have to fabricate some more metal for uh, there's a lot of metal that's attaching to iron arm to the booster frame, uh, booster tube. Uh, so I'm still, I need to uh, cobble all that together as well. I have to fabricate that so I can get it welded. Uh, I also have a friend that's working on a 3d print for uh, the booster frame. Cause the booster frame is a little bit different from the ones in GB one and GB two. Um, I'm so? not sure if they scratch built them or if they 3d printed them, but since there's other 3d printed parts on the pack, I figured might as well get that done too. So I'm in the process of getting that done. Uh, the, the snag that came in is uh, my one friend has a resin printer, but the, the frame is slightly too big to be printed as, as a whole piece on the resin printer. So he has to print it in two pieces with pegs to like reattach it together. And then once I get that, I have to clean up one seam 
I'll probably make a mold of it then too. So that's another thing I'm working on too. And then hopefully this spring I could actually paint it all and uh, probably mess up all the all the weathering. <laughs> <laughs> so your electronics, uh, we talked about this the first time we did this around. You you basically custom make your electronics from the ground up for all your packs. Mostly because no one ever makes the electronics I want. So I end up just making them myself. That's what got me into it. Um, I know a, a little bit of art, uh, of how to program Arduinos. I'm not the best at it. I'm not an electrical engineer. Um, I actually almost went to school to be a mechanical engineer until I went into psychology instead. Um, but I have some uh, programming experience as well. I learned up to C++ in high school. So And uh, Arduino programming language is similar to C++. Um, so I can at least like brute force my way to make things work. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've, the, the electronics in the pack itself are really darn close to what they used in the actual screen use packs minus, I also added audio to it. So mm -hmm. that's something I had to make myself. Um, and I think I'm using the same bar graph that they used in the, in the, um, afterlife packs I got from China. <laughs> I think okay. they're right. I, it's hard to tell. Um, and, uh, a lot of the other components are also similar to, to what they use. So I'm trying my best to get it as close as possible. Well, because uh, we only have the... like very fleeting images from a, a couple like TikTok videos of what the inside of the wand looked like. So, well, you also did the electronics for your video game pack, which is yeah, for my video game pack. Um, the uh, I know there's no video for this uh podcast, but there I have a pack hanging behind me. I did all the electronics and the one behind me. Uh, also the ones in my uh, semi hero pack. Uh, I I put them together, but they're actually the the components from the actual dude that made the electronics for just GB2 semi-hero packs for mm -hmm. the second film. Uh, so yeah, I do a lot of all that stuff myself. So out of out of all the vendors that you're familiar with, who whose electronics kit do you think plays closest as far as well, plug and play kits? Um, the issue is, and I talked about this the first time we recorded as well, is that no one makes electronics like how they were in the films because it's actually somewhat boring <laughs> the way right. you see in the film. A lot of people, a lot of vendors sell stuff that have a lot of extra animations, whether to mm -hmm. to the uh, power cell, like a loading sequence I've seen people do. And actually, I guess that's now screen accurate because you can see that in, uh, in Afterlife because that's <laughs> something they used uh, for one of the stunt, some of the stunt packs. I guess they used some off-the-shelf fan electronics. Um, and then even on the thrower, like... Um, most pack like there's only one pack that in the original two movies that had a moving bar graph and it, it literally cycled up and down, um and and I think it went to full when you hit the vent light and that that's about it. It's very similar to it's the same electronics that they used in the in the hero trap as well is in the thrower of the semi of the superhero, um but all the other ones the bar graphs were solid and like they had a blinking light on top and then they had the flashing xeon uh, uh, strobes in the barrel and that's about it. So it's not super. I mean it's super exciting for like '84 like the, the right. very high tech electronics for back then but like for fans now everyone has a lot of different extra stuff in their kits um as far as who off the shelf now sells anything close to what was like if you're trying to replicate what was in the original uh packs uh but uh led form uh one of my uh, associates i uh, uh, uh that I've, I've known uh he goes by uh um uh prop forge on on uh, ebay he he sells some lights that uh, we designed back in 2011 um I, I did the initial design and initial coding for it, um, but he was a lot better at creating uh, actual uh, printed uh, circuit boards. Mm -hmm. um, so he has a collaboration and I told him, hey, you can sell them. I just want the ones that I need for me and then you can sell them if you want. So he still sells them. I think he's done some iterations since then mm -hmm. to them, but they're still functioning basically the same way. I know he also created uh, um, pack lights. 
based off of design from Jack Dowd. He worked with Jack Dowd as well to create the pack light. So if you want anything that's actually that's close to what you see in the GB1, but with LED instead of incandescent, I would go with those. But I don't know how often he actually has boards up on eBay. So. Now, uh, so if you're able to get one of the Prop Forge kits, um, are there any? Is there a sound kit that it cooperates with, or are you looking at having to do custom? So sound? we actually designed it. It can work with the GB Fan sound kit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also uh, I just create my own sound kits myself. Uh, but uh, I, they do work with the GB Fans one. So very cool. Because the GB Fan ones are set up to uh, take a, a, a signal, uh, either mm-hmm. a high or low signal from a, from another kits. So uh, we have out, out, out output pins on the on the uh, gun gun cool. kit specifically to connect to that. So you can get it to work. Excuse me, you can get to work with the GB fan kit. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, Austin, you're working on a Phoebe pack as well. Correct. How's that going? It's going. I uh, I've been working on the metal bits, uh, getting the uh, booster tube cut and uh, filler tube. Uh, Beamline, PPD, all that stuff. Um, waiting some on some Ho- other. Hopefully, parts. someone sends you a bumper and a rear grip soon. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm getting real close to needing those. Um, and I'm I'm using a shell that uh, Mikhail was kind enough to cast up for me out of his own mold, which is a wonderful shell, beautiful. Um, he didn't cut out the the hole for me to install the breaker switch, though, and I'm really upset about that. No, I'm kidding. I, I don't. You know, I don't want to. Fun and joy of doing that. My, my, you know, that's part of the experience of building the afterlife. Pack. My knuckles are still healing from scraping against <laughs> fiberglass on the inside, trying to get holes drilled and and a slit cut. But it's going. Um, I'm in the process of uh, trying to get maybe, hopefully, some aluminum wands made for it. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, it's I'm I'm now that I've got the shell in hand and I'm getting some of the parts made, it's really it's going along pretty quickly. Um I had a lot of the you know, the bolt-on parts hoarded already from the last year of you know, research and all that. So, um I'm pretty excited about it. I'm I'm ready to get it to a point where I can start screwing stuff down and painting and sticking labels on and all that jazz. Very cool. So, uh I've got a lot more um conceptualization stages, you know, making sure I'm adding more than I need to um, current projects. And I'm, I'm actually working with some of the guys over at the 3D printing part, because one of the packs I want to do, you know, everybody's seen the inside of the Cyclotron. Everyone's really excited about that, that new iteration, that new reveal of, hey, this is what the inside of a Proton pack looks like. Um, and a lot of people are doing uh, prints and stuff like that for, for wearable ones. I'm, I'm not particularly interested in that. Um, you know, Hasbro's releasing their toy version of that. And I think that'll kind of cover that niche. If I want to have like a display piece, um, I'm more interested in the century proton packs. Um, I think they're probably the most interesting visually thing to, to come out of ghostbusters afterlife. Um, so I'm hoping in the next year or two to actually build a, uh, a Sentry Proton Pack in one of the boxes that has a removable cyclotron. So I'm excited about that. And then for for kind of funsies, um, I'm going to do some repaints and touch-ups on target traps. Um, those are, they were like 20 bucks. They're, they're all super light plastic. 
Um, but I was looking at how they come apart. You know, I grabbed them from just for for just table display. You know, easy ghost traps. You throw them out on the table at a convention. Everybody's like, ooh, ah. Uh, you don't have to really do much about it. But I was looking at how they actually break down, and there's a lot of potential for interesting customization onto them. Um, in which you know the side panels kind of come off separately, so you have the option of sanding them down and probably you know using rub and buff to make them look true aluminum. So I might dig out one of those. Um, and tinker around because I really I'm I'm held up with weather much much like Matt yeah. I'm you know I'm waiting for good weather to to paint you know I have a lot of prep and bondo on my IDW pack and not a lot more I can do it until I can actually get out and start painting stuff and right now 51 degrees uh, much better than what you have Matt but still not good enough to paint I don't I well, will I refuse to paint until I get to 61 degrees outside well what sucks where I live is like in the winter it gets like below 20 and then during the summer it gets like 90 but like with like 85 to 95 percent humidity which also makes it mm -hmm. difficult to paint it so does. there's like this sweet spot where i have to wait for low humidity and decent heat to be able to yep. paint and it's such a pain in the ass one of these years maybe i'll get fed up and actually build like a paint booth i don't know yeah it is a pain in the butt but you know it, it's also kind of fun and at least it allows you to gather time to to gather your thoughts on how you're going to tackle that and then sit around done, and be angry. <laughs> sit around and be angry. Well, it's like I, I'm always, you know, telling friends or something like, how long does it take to build a proton pack? I'm like, well, do you have everything? Because <laughs> that's that's the big question. If you have all the parts, it can take years. yeah, if you have all the parts and good weather, you could build a pack in a day or two, you know. But if you don't have everything you need and you don't have good weather and you don't have access to all the tools ready to go, it's going to take you, you know six months a year yeah i would years. argue like if i had everything sitting out i could probably do it in about four days it'd be like mm -hmm. one day to set up the mother motherboard because that's a lot of drilling and tapping it and is mounting stuff the shell itself uh like you have to dry fit everything and take it off and paint it that could be a day and then probably give me two two days to build a wand because i have to like get to build a wand take it apart dry uh yeah. like, paint it put it back together put electronics in pull them out as you blow shit up and then put it back together <laughs> So I, I would say if I had everything laying out in front of me and I had all my tools with me, I could do it in probably four days. That would be a fun challenge. We should do that sometime. Yeah. Well, I remember, here's a shout out to Fernando Hernandez. There was one year when we were going down the Dragon Con, I showed up to his house to drive him from Queens down to uh, uh, New York, uh, down to Georgia. And I showed up, he's like, hey, so I have all my parts here, but my pack's not fully assembled. <laughs> so i showed up at like 10 o'clock at night because i thought we were gonna drive through the whole night <laughs> well we built a pack throughout the whole night uh so that was fun we we finished painting up his pack and then uh mr chris tilson who had uh he's not really part of the uh, group uh anymore but i'm still friends with him on facebook i remember him sitting down in the basement just cursing up a storm installing electronics into the thrower <laughs> for eight hours was that his tribute pack or was that a different pack I think I think it was a tribute pack, yeah. It, it was it's a beautiful pack and it I, like it's a fun story now and that's what I always say like I, don't get me wrong, I was tired and frustrated. No, every time, everything like, with Fernando is a fun story. Yeah. He has nothing. Yeah, and that's fun. what I often say is like, you know, it might have been frustrating at the time but it's a good story to tell now, so. It is. All right. You know, that would be a fun story, a, a topic for another day but doing like talking about last minute late night builds, mm -hmm. things going horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I have a good well, story I, for yeah. that. I still have photos of my first throwing chicken Mark One, you know, being put together the the night before mm -hmm. taking off for Dragon Con. So I'm <laughs> I'm definitely familiar with last minute builds. 
that would be a lot of fun. And, and I know Austin and I, um, you know, right now the podcast is focusing around specific props, but we're definitely going to go into um, anything we could think of, you know, spirit, fan builds, things like that. I know next uh, session eight, we're going to introduce, you know, um, props that are particularly exciting to us. Um, I guess this week you could count Julian's PKE meter as as that, but we'll we'll be going into that. There's a lot of content that I'm excited about. I'm excited to see where this podcast can go. How about you, Austin? I'm ready to dedicate an hour and a half to My Little Pony flash drives. That's what I'm ready for. Oh, is it? Wait, is this the wrong podcast for that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, te- you need to be on. Uh, yes, have some. For for hour and a half dedications to My Little Pony merchandise. I don't know that they would want me on there either. I don't think they would, actually. Now that probably I think about not. it, they'd probably be like, nah, you can't come on here either. <laughs> well, I'm going to start my own other podcast. The Let's do my a little... podcast on only Elf and My Little Pony, and that's it. <laughs> you know, I would do an Elf podcast. I wouldn't. For sure. You wouldn't? No. You don't like Elf? No. <laughs> oh, come on. Anyway. No. But he's back no. in furry form, haven't you seen? He's back, oh. but hog form. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's uh let's get into the meat of it. Let's go ahead and get started on our main topic, which is our roundtable discussion of Ghostbusters Proton Packs. We have some really excellent questions, so uh let's go ahead and do that. Listen. You smell something? There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Why? <laughs> So, um, yeah, this is the roundtable part three of our three-part podcast on the Ghostbusters Proton Pack. And last time, what we did is we just kind of talked. We, you know, threw things at each other while we were talking about uh, Proton Packs, things we liked, uh, parts, you know, particular packs that we were privy to. Um, This time, um, I did something different because I didn't want it to get stale on us trying to remember what we had talked about. Uh, which is I went out to the community and got questions from people for all of us to to discuss, which I think will make this a, a little more interesting and a little more roundtable-ish. So I'm excited about some of the feedback that we got and some of the questions that we got. Um, but before we get into those questions, uh, you know, Matt, wh- what's the Proton Pack mean to you, bud? Um, well, as a child, it was a mystery to me. Uh mainly just because like with low quality VHS and whatnot, like I, it was this black blob that had like a gun on it that, that you, that you could see on my like 22 inch TV back in like 89. Um, and even like the Omni pack uh, or like the Omni magazine, like it was like, I know it's not this now, but as a kid, I always thought like, cause the front grip was twisted. I thought I had like sawtooth like grip on it or whatever. Like mm-hmm. once again, I was a child. I didn't know what I was looking at, but like, it was just this huge mystery to me. It also blew my mind because it was so much different in the movie than it was in the cartoons and and even different from the toys we had. And I just couldn't get it all to line up in my head. I was just like, why are all these things so different? I, it's just this like an enigma. Um, and then as an adult, um, it's become, uh, I guess, an obsession, I guess would be a good way of putting it. I've built how many of them now at this point, but it's also... It helps me because, as I said before, like I, I originally was going to school to be an engineer and I went into psychology instead. I'm a clinical psychologist now, but um, I still have that that need to like flex that like building and mm-hmm. creating and figuring doing math and figuring stuff out. 
Um, so it's definitely my outlet for that. That's why it's one of my favorite hobbies. Just between that and I also play guitar, but like uh, it's just one of those things where like it's a great hobby for me to still be able to flex flex those muscles from a mechanical engineering standpoint of just building and creating. So that, that's what it is to me now, and it's definitely it connects me to friends as well. Like, I, like oh yeah, everyone here, everyone here, I would have never met if it wasn't for these things. And also even my friends I was hanging out with, some of my best friends I was hanging out with yesterday, uh, Adam Marish and Dan. Uh, this, Sorry, Adam Marish and, and Jack Dowd. Yeah, um, <laughs> I met I met them. They were the first two people I met when I was at, I wore my pack out in the community for the first time back for the 25th anniversary of Ghostbusters. So, and that's I mean that's a great point that you brought up. I think Austin and I touched on that last episode as well. Like I I have friends um, from from growing up um, that I love. You know, um, my one of my best friends up in New York. I've known him since middle school, and then you know I have a Another friend of mine, his daughter's my goddaughter and vice versa. I've known him since I was three. He's, you know, like a brother to me. But the amount of friendships that I've made through Ghostbusters is incredible. I mean, hell, I met my wife through Ghostbusters, which I'm not sure if that's <laughs> a great story or a sad story. But it's a story at least uh, that has a happy ending. And I'm happy about it because I, I love the shit out of my wife. Um, you better. <laughs> oh, Yeah. But I, I love. Uh, He's saying that because she's the... standing right there in the kitchen. She's like sharpening a knife right off screen. <laughs> no, no, she doesn't sharpen the knives. I have to do that. Um, she just uses them. Uh, Mikhail, uh, what does the proton pack mean to you, bud? Uh, well, I mean, you know, not going to copy what matt said i mean there there are you know it's 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 this piece of iconography that everyone knows it's it's brought brought so many of us together you know these these particular props but for me the proton pack is it's kind of like the ultimate prop to build because it it combines all of these disciplines Mm -hmm. like you know you have to be you know a, a carpenter an engineer an electrician a mold maker uh, you know, there's even some sewing involved when I did my super straps, you know, on my GB2 pack, but it combines all of these different disciplines. And I've also used from a professional end, I've I've used my proton packs in my portfolio and I've gotten a lot of different prop building jobs over the years. Like now I'm a prop builder for a theatrical company here in St. Louis. So it, uh, yeah, they, the proton pack, it opens doors for friendships, for opportunities, uh, yeah, and you had mentioned though uh, mold making. Now you're <laughs> you're one of the people that has not only their own mold, but you built yours f- from the absolute ground up. Yeah the the original uh, master for it, uh, actually a, a friend of mine and I, uh, Chris Weller, who's in the community. He and I built the wooden master, the buck, and then I did a mold. I've done two molds of it. The first mold was in. 2011 I think and I didn't really know what I was doing I was following a YouTube tutorial which was how to mold a proton pack perfect right well it was one of those part one tutorials where there was no part two (laughs) and the technique that they were using ended up it was terrible they obviously they didn't come up with something useful it they didn't have the the clay or the two-part support jacket they were just brushing the silicone on and then, and then I think they put the jacket on top of that, which can work sort of, but it was, uh, it was messy. And, but I did end up with two very serviceable shells from it. You know, they required a lot of cleanup, 
Uh, in fact, one of those shells I turned into my uh, the sort of prototype Phoebe pack I did back when we were still kind of figuring everything out. I, I know Austin did one and I did one where we were just kind of taking guesses and, you know, back in that those fun days. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and then I, I remolded it in 2014 and I fixed some of the things that were inaccurate. Like I removed the end filter that I had cast in. Uh, I took off some of the mounting plates for like the filler tube and such. But it uh, it needs I need to re- I need to make a new master probably just from the ground up you know too many disco- we've made too many discoveries over the past you know several years uh, and my mold I've done I think I've done eight pulls from it so far the last one was actually the one I did for Austin and it's starting to get a little wear and tear which my plan with the the mold for whatever life is left in it I'll probably try doing maybe some foam stunt casts oh that'd be lovely or I might- some shells that I can hack up to do some sentry packs because that's just what I need a bunch of unwearable proton packs and boxes <laughs> I don't know I, I've, I've been I've been a, I've been thinking about those sentry packs a lot they're they are pretty they're I, I think they're incredibly cool I was I was they're actually they're a little melancholy in a way because it there's something just very desperate about them like Egon is out there all by himself and he's he's trying to cobble these sort of half-assed packs together you know it's the best he can do mm-hmm. there's just something really sad and melancholy about it's definitely the saddest of all the ghostbuster movies when you really mm-hmm. really start diving down into the minutia of what the story plots are saying um but it, you had mentioned that you removed the infilter so i'm going to give the the first question to you mikhail which mm-hmm. is uh this comes from chuck fisher um, now, one of the things Chuck is asking is dimensions, which I feel like those are out there. Yeah, those are, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a three-inch outer diameter uh, aluminum, thin wall. Uh, you know, really, they're not that hard to make if, uh, you know, you can cut, you know, thin aluminum with a Dremel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I like to do when I make my infilters is I make a little tracing template out of paper where I'll cut the curves into it and get the exact fit onto onto my shell. Now, of course, every shell might be slightly different, mm-hmm. but you know, you're you're likely going to have your your half inch cyclotron rim, and your the bevel is what on the cyclotron itself is what like an eighth inch or something. Uh, so they're pretty standard. But you know, if you're making your own in filter, you definitely want to make a template and get it as close as you want. Or if you want it to be slightly off, I mean, the heroes are not no, they're not a perfect fit, but and how how were but, they uh, attached? I you know do you the uh, the infilters they had a they had like a there was a plate that they were tack welded to on the inside and that plate was then pop riveted onto the cyclotron and you can see some of that on the uh, the photos of the Spengler pack mm-hmm. in its GB two configuration where it somehow got smashed off over the years I, I mean I don't really see. Especially because the plate is still there, so I guess they broke the weld somehow. I That's what happens when you take a baseball bat to an end filter. <laughs> I, I'm honestly just more surprised that the fiberglass didn't shatter with those pop rivets over yeah, breaking the welds. Yeah, I know that it's. Because I would think it would be better to have like, uh, you know, if you had like mounting bolts and fender washers on the inside. But yeah, they're just the well, and, and uh, specifically on that pack too, like you. You can tell it got knocked off, and then they tried to glue it back on. They got knocked off again because there's a whole there's a line of like epoxy around the edge too. Uh, that loop yeah. goop all yeah. around. There's there's epoxy on some of the others too, so it may have been a pretty common issue. I mean, 
it depend it, it it may be really tiny tack welds or something you know who knows and uh so you know they were pop riveted on there was not the fake welds attached to the pack they were they were flush or cast in um and mm-hmm. how about that the the mesh in the in filter holes was there anything behind that or was it just mesh uh well i mean as for the superhero pack from what i've seen of it it's just mesh but it's there's a bunch of dirt and grime and stuff that kind of creates the illusion like there's something behind the wire mesh yeah. but it is actually just just wire and and that's what they did on the afterlife packs as well and it looks a little weird when you can actually see through the infilter holes but you know it is accurate but then on the G, on the venkman hero pack they uh they took the mesh out and they put like it, either they clayed it up or they put like some sort of white filler in there, mm-hmm. and then they cast it. But that remains on the hero pack, so it's just solid white on the Venkman hero. Well, excellent. I mean that that answers all those questions. Um, our our next set of questions we have a few here, and this is from uh, one of my personal favorite people. He runs the Ghostbusters reference library, which is Stuart Thompson. Which what an incredible resource. Um, he's really put so much work into getting everything kind of in one spot. Um, it's a shame it's not a website, it's a sh- you know, that it's a Facebook page. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I feel like accessibility has become really great using Facebook. But Stuart Thompson here. Uh, Matt, this one's really for you. So uh, he says, we all know that Matt had the amazing opportunity to visit the archives and see some screen use packs in person. Um, are there any details which may not be well known about that that you are allowed to share from your time with them? Um, now, I guess the, I read that question online too, and I was trying to figure out: Do they mean? Do, do you guys? Do you guys think he means like details of on the packs themselves, or details of that visit I had? As in, like, how did that visit go? I think details on the packs themselves. That's what I figured too. As was double checking. Um. I guess the biggest thing that, I mean, it is relatively well-known because of all the packs that they had there or have been on display at some point, but like the semi-heroes are really cobbled together and they did a lot of just like on, on like just gluing stuff together, <laughs> glassing over things and then spray painting and stuff like that. There's also a lot of glue on uh, all, all the, all the two hero packs as well. I think <laughs> during GB1, a lot of stuff got knocked off. Like I know the, the superhero the um the one resistor on the ion arm definitely got knocked mm-hmm. off. I have a photo of Bill Murray wearing it with, without the resistor on it. And I yep. think that's at, at the point where they start gluing stuff on. Um, the other thing too, and this is like I think you guys touched on it a little bit in your last video of when you guys talked about this, the um, the superhero how it got uh, taken apart and rest restored. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that you guys didn't didn't mention because uh, it was that yes, a lot of this stuff was pop rivet on, but every all those pop rivets were coming loose as well. Like the inject, then uh, not the injector tubes, the filler and and the um and the beam line. You could like literally grab them and just wiggle them around, stuff like that. They were <laughs> they were completely loose. So it, it's probably that's that's probably a good thing for them to actually have drilled those out and fixed them. So there's a lot of like loose parts on those packs. Like it's one of those things where like they were thrown together like what like what six weeks or something like that for the original film, mm-hmm. and it still blows my mind that what forty years later that or almost forty years later like they're still still most of them are physically still together in some on some level just blows my mind like because on some level they're really well done but on the other hand they're like there's like shortcuts here and there and i don't know i think the biggest thing was like there's a lot of loose parts in those packs um 
a lot like the the a lot of stuff's pretty much known though as far as like the the superhero as well as the bill murray uh the murray hero as well like those are pretty well documented um i know we the first time we recorded and i think you guys touched on it before the pack that i'm actually more uh, interested there's two packs i'm more interested in it's the omni pack or, or zedmore pack um and the stance pack um, but we can probably talk about those a little bit later but those are the yeah. ones that i still have some mysteries but uh the other ones that i got to handle they're pretty well known at this point austin dan what are the common misconceptions about the packs that you'd like to clear up once and for all I'll let you start with this. Uh, they're not flat black. That's for sure. No, they they're not. satin. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's something of a misconception or if it's just uh, something people do because they, they, they don't have a better way to attach it. But like going back to like the in filter, you know, people put fake welds you know, around the attachment points. And I don't really know where they got started. I don't know if that, that is a misconception. People thought that's how they were. Um, but I still see that it's still really prevalent. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they just sit flush. There's no welds there. So, so I, I think where that Genesis of that comes from is uh, in GB one on the booster tube, they did have like this fake weld along the edge of the, of the bottom of the booster tube uh, yeah. uh, and the EDA. And that was taken off at some point. You can see some of the packs, like, they never repaint them. There's still like the little like zigzag lines of that fake well being pulled off there. I think it was literally just hot glue. I think it was hot glue. Well, the Omni never had that, did it? I don't think that That did. one I'm, I have a hard time because I don't have good photos of. <laughs> but like, uh, right. um, the, the, I know both the, the hero or the superhero and the Murray pack at one point had them. You can still see like the zigzag where it was removed. I think the stance also had it too. Um, I don't know if it's still on there or not. I had, I'd have to look at my reference, but. Uh, the stance, yeah, the the Spangler and Stance have it. Does the superhero? Is the superhero had it? But it they obviously when they took it apart for the Anovos project, I, I wonder if they put that back on there or did they just throw it away? They just got rid of it. Yeah, yeah, they they got rid of it. The earlier photos I have though, it's still there. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's definitely like hot glue. Yeah, I think the Venkman had it because on the photos, you know, the G of the pack post GB2, you can see where there's like a little residue or that might have been clay, but I, I think it might have been on there. So major misconceptions, Matt. Yes. Um, I mean, one of the big ones is the how the front handle works. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, yeah. I think you guys, I don't remember <laughs> if you guys talked about last one. time. Yeah. Uh, um, it's such it's, a big one. Yeah, well, even I got into it with someone about the um, even the ones in in the afterlife uh, pack. Uh, 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 if they if the front handle rotated at all, and 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 yeah, it's so the 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 tip extends by there's a green lever that's right next to the trigger box on uh, the back at rear of the of the one, and then the front handle just twists and it can rotate roughly about I would say about sixty degrees, mm-hmm. not quite ninety. Um, and I'm not sure why they did that. Maybe for comfort. I'm not sure. That's what the, that's the argument I hear a lot of people say. But definitely can rotate, and it doesn't affect it doesn't affect the, the extending of the of the clear tip. So that's a big. Mikhail. That's a huge misconception. It is a huge one. That's still again like the like the infilter weld, um, and we're talking about where the infilter meets the actual cyclotron, where it meets yeah. the back, not not on yeah. the top. Mm-hmm. Um, Mikhail, any that you can think of misconceptions about the packs uh the one i see a lot is that 
the the pack that all of the components are just made from found junk. Mm. Uh, that seems to be pretty common. Just stuff because it's like it's funny. The packs they were cobbled together and they weren't cobbled together. Mm-hmm. You know that you know they had a lot of you know highly detailed machined parts. You know a lot of resin cast pieces, but it wasn't just oh let's slap these electrical boxes together. There seems to be a lot of that, and I think people sometimes dismiss the proton pack as being an easy prop to build because it's just cobbled together from junk. You know. Yeah. I think, uh, no, and I absolutely agree with you. I see that all the time. It's like, oh, this is just a bunch of military surplus stuff slapped together. I'm like, this, Mm -hmm. and you know, I think people really get off on that idea that because there's an Alice frame that the rest of it must be military in nature as well. You know, because they're wearing jumpsuits Mm -hmm. and pistol belts, everything must be military. I'm like, that's kind of the limit. I mean, yeah, you have the, the night vision goggle frames, but I mean... Outside of that, but as for the, yeah. the pack itself, I mean, there's the crank knob. Uh, but the crank knob was even used in anything that Raytheon produced crank knobs for, right? So electric yeah, train military. sets, <laughs> right? Yeah, the thrower is not made from a choo-choo train. <laughs> well, the 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 train it does have a track better. on it. <laughs> it does. Well, the uh, speaking about the crank knob, there was a uh, the versions that were on the model train kits were not the actual military spec ones. They were kind of cheaper knockoffs, which they like, they don't have the little core with the set screws, Mm -hmm. Uh, but cosmetically, you know, they, they can work just fine. I've built a pack with them, but uh, yeah. What else could be, is military grade on the pack? I mean, not, not really. Um, I mean, they have a lot of aircraft stuff, right? Like the bar, like the bar graph was as have an airplane. Uh, So, I think my guess is that ribbon cable is probably from an airplane as well. Yeah. At least the one on the GV one packs. We don't know what the source of that was yet, but still like, I think we talked about that. Um, There's, but getting more into, you know, military grade industrial stuff and not necessarily like surplus stuff that someone would find at a, you know, a surplus uh, shop or something. I found Um, this radar dish at a a military surplus and I just slapped it on my proton pack. Uh, I think one of the ones that still sticks out for me, and we've talked about this on on this podcast before, is hockey pucks yeah. as the spacers or or any kind of you know pre made. Th- it's just it's just wood. Yeah. God, mm-hmm. it's just wood, guys. Um, that's one of the biggest ones. I mean, I, I absolutely understand the the wisdom behind chopping up a, a hockey puck real fast to get that oh, big shock absorber. Yeah, and... but <laughs> well, and just... and like, well, you I... don't want that stuff flexing anyway. No. Yeah, right. That, that's why everyone's uh, Alice, like their knockoff Alice frames snap because it's too much flexing. Right. I've seen one like literally fall someone's pa- back and shatter in a parade on the on the uh, in, uh, in the. Speaking of those knockoff frames, I I love that we discovered that fourth mounting point on the afterlife packs because on mine it's made a huge difference. Yeah, mine too. On that, yeah. I mean, honestly, they they could have had them in the originals. I mean, even though the original frames are pretty solid. That is a smart point to have that that upper attachment, and you can't even really see it. It's hidden by the that oversized foam. Yep. So, yeah, that gave me a lot of peace of mind because as soon as I had just my three points on there, that thing yeah, was flexing and wobbling. Yeah, Austin, you were going to add something. Uh, just just that, like you know, I I can appreciate outside the box thinking, like when it comes sure. to like the hockey bucks, you know. Um, but like you also have to. 
be open to the idea that you know your idea may, is probably not correct either like <laughs> think outside the box but don't don't get so married to the idea that you you won't consider other options you know um something that i personally am working on being better at because we you know we all get our own opinions and and what we think is correct and you know at the end of the day to be honest we really don't know a whole lot i mean we know a, great, a, a lot great exa- i was gonna say a great example of that is that hose on on the phoebe pack from the wand to the uh to the uh pack that like uh that uh fuel line hose yeah and there uh, I'll, I'll i'll admit i was one of the people's like why would they create that for uh the prop like when you could just buy something off the shelf why would you spend time doing that to torture yeah. us of <laughs> yeah. course well, and then, then then when we actually got the the concept uh, the, the making of book, it made sense because the person that was doing the concept art was literally taking like photoshopping an actual piece from like a, a, a image on on like Google search and just putting it on there. And then because they couldn't actually find that 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 piece, they just like made their own. Um, and that makes you, sense. No, I mean but especially it, if like if it's an if it's it's a small element, a very small element. But if it's something that like Jason looked at and he really liked it and he he was set on we need to have that on there you're gonna make it if you can't find the real thing i mean you got to do what you got to do to make it work and and that's an example of even for myself being like yeah i guess you're right like initially i didn't think that was what it was but I, you know I'll, I'll concede that i think it makes sense you know well and also when you're working on a production like that and you're given you know this reference material and you're told you know build this this is what the art director wants you know mm-hmm. you you recreate it to the best of your ability. But Ghostbusters Afterlife was a unique production because everyone involved in it was hugely passionate about it. And everyone went out of their way to work on all of these little details. So, you know, the people building the packs, I mean, that's obviously a dream job there. You know, I think they were willing to go the extra mile and make that little stencil for the hose, you know. That well, was... even just from like a continuity standpoint, it, to me, it almost mm-hmm. makes more sense to just make a bunch of pieces of the exact section you need then track down and have to buy how however many you know possibly hundreds of feet of hose that you're not going to use just to cut off one tiny section right right so our our last question here from Stuart is during the newly released dailies we can see egon working on a couple of throwers on his workbench which seem to be in mid-construction with various parts missing, lack of decals, decals, and transfers. Do you think these were the same hero throwers taken from a couple of the packs and redressed later, or do you think they could possibly be extra throwers not linked to a specific pack made specifically for those shots, given that they had already filmed with the fully decked out wands in New York before shooting those scenes in L.A.? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not something I've ever even thought about. So I like that he brings that up, but I I would doubt that they are the original ones off the actual packs. I I would say they're probably ba- backups or or prototypes well, and I've or never, something. I've never even given thought to the idea. You know, I've always just associated. Okay, this wand goes with this pack. That there could be packless wands out there someplace. Yeah. That they that they built, they're in the Sony mine. They yeah. have to be. <laughs> and the one thing I'll say, so I don't know the actual genesis of this one thrower, but I remember seeing photos when back when like the HMS shell first became a thing, or Legacy shell, whatever, or whatever you want to call it nowadays. I know some people don't like calling it HMS. Anyway, 
I remember seeing photos of not only the behind the scenes of them taking that stunt pack and doing cav Bondo cast from the original mold and clean that up. But there's also a picture I have of someone holding a half built metal thrower with a red push button for the tr trigger for the fire button or for the activate or intensify button. That's it. Um, that mm -hmm. may or may not have been a production piece as well. I don't know if it was made by HMS when they were making that mold as well, or if it was an actual production piece from Ghostbusters as well. Interesting. So I don't know how, like I said, I don't know the genesis of that. It could have a genesis with that, that particular one. It's, it's unpainted. Um, it's only part of it. It's not the whole thing, but you know, it, for, it very well could have just been a fan-made one or made by HMS, but just it was a photo that I have with all that other stuff. I think it's being sold when uh, HMS was sh selling off all their molds and stuff like that. That's how that particular mold got into uh, um, uh, uh, fan hands. So I don't know what, the, yeah. yeah. So it very well could have made more than just the one, the metal ones they had. So. I, well, and it makes sense too, that they made additional wands because there could have been wands where, well, this one just isn't enough to snuff for a hero pack. You know, we mi miswelded this or we had to test this and that didn't work. So let's <laughs> use it for set dressing. Or, I mean, it's it's also entirely possible they were made specifically for those scenes, for mm -hmm. him tinkering. I mean, like, you know, that would be the responsibility of the prop department to, you know, come up with those items. Carol, do me a favor and poke this props. with a screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mess up the paint, though. We got to put it uh, on one of the packs later. <laughs> Austin, I'm going to throw this one at you. This is from uh, James Brigia. Uh, why the heck does a synchrotron get mislabeled as a cyclotron, and why does it need CRT emitters? Aren't CRT emitters for television? I'm the wrong person. I have known nothing about any of this. Because um, it looks cool, as far as the CRT emitters go. Like, I, again, like Forrest Gump, I'm not a smart man. Uh, I don't understand how any of that stuff works. I've tried to wrap my head around the mechanics of the cyclotron and how you have a spinning light, but you have four separate like emitters or whatever. Like, I don't get it. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me, <laughs> but then you have the inner cyclotron piece that also has a light that spins in it that we're, I, I thought we were supposed to assume is what's generating the red light, but then how can it shine through? those lenses if the if those lenses are capped off with those crt emitter things like it doesn't make any sense but it looks cool and i think that that may be the case here where there may have been some real science kind of sprinkled in in terms of like how it how it's supposed to function but like i think more than anything it just makes something cool. that looks cool. so wait you're telling me yeah. that you like proton packs are real and you can put them on your pack and back and they make sense and you can shoot rubberized light out of them. Whoa. I, I have converted an old Absolutely. 1987 television to fire proton streams. Actually. So <laughs> little, little, it's still about the proton packs, but this is more about the special effect attached to them. I'm actually curious to go back and look at afterlife and, and slow it down and see if they animate the, the stream the same as in, in GB one, the stream was like, yeah, they like don't. electricity comes the out, and then the don't. orange piece like comes in, and they they connect at the tip. No, so I I Matt was also curious mm -hmm. of the same thing, um, but the definitive scene that tells me uh, no is when they are chasing Muncher, and right before they get to the bridge, uh, they have that very much the stream reaches out 
and then no, yeah, captures true. him, but it has the blue electricity. But I haven't gone back and looked at the other scenes, so there's still a chance that that got snuck uh, in there. But, now, hang um, on, hang on. The, the gunner seat's a snub nose, so it could operate completely differently. The one thing I did oh, notice, though, is they actually animate <laughs> the stream inside the clear tip as well. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure I like that. I like it. Did you? I mean, it made sense from a with modern special effects to do that. You know, a little more sophisticated. I always, I always liked the idea that that, that there was something in the trigger tip that condensed mm-hmm. everything down. That you basically you were just seeing raw light in the tube. So I didn't like the micro stream in the acrylic tube. Personally, that's that's me. I know a lot of people did. They liked seeing even the stream there. I was, I was just like, I don't know. It reminded me of Zordon from the Power Rangers. <laughs> I don't know why, but there's a little floating head inside that too. It's a backspin tire. Dan Aykroyd, find me teenagers with attitude. Oh, um, well, wait, well, oh, were you quoting the Brian, Brian, uh, Brian Cranston version of Zordon? <laughs> uh, so we're going to move on to the, the next set of questions, which comes from uh, Joseph Galina, who's working on a really, really fantastic um, replica as well. I know he's <laughs> he's having some fun with the wand. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Matt, I'm going to send this one over to you. Uh, what color or what were the color of the wires going from the flashbulb through the banjos in Ghostbusters 1? And were they different than the black and red? we see in Ghostbusters 2 clean. So I'm pretty sure it depends on which thrower you're looking at. <laughs> um, Agreed. I think they were like, I want to say it was like 26 or 28 gauge like wire. And they were like, I think they're, they, they, uh, most of them were white with a, like a color stripe on them. I think if I remember correctly, I might be mixing that up. It's been a while since I looked at that. That might be the afterlife pack too. I don't know. Like it's been a while since I looked at that, but they definitely were different depending on which pack you're looking at. I think they literally just grabbed, spools of stuff as they're wiring stuff together because a lot of that stuff you had to kind of wire together after the wires came through the the body of the of the thrower so like 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 they had they wired they i'm pretty sure they wired everything up after that so even like they put the um the hat light in there and the push button and they soldered onto those and stuff like that and no i i think it was just different depending on which pack you looked at well, I, I know specifically the uh, Spengler pack has uh, blue and green wires coming out of the flashbulb. Most of the others, I think, are just black and red. I'm not sure. It's black and white coming out of the superhero. So Yeah. It, I wonder yeah, if, it, I, if it's a form of identification for each thrower. Like, at a glance, you can tell. Too hard into I it. mean, you never know. Don't they I have mean, n- it's true. You they have know. numbers stamped on them. So. Yeah, but that... that seems more reasonable than hey grab me the the red and brown wired thrower yeah but that you one can't grab me number two see the numbers stamped in it ah look number two right. that makes more sense yeah but i don't know whatever well you, you know uh, to touch on the numbering you know it's interesting because we don't really see the, you know the numbers aren't that prominent on the packs and the throwers i mean on the throwers we just have the little stamp yeah on the e- and then the numbers that are like on this on the Venkman, I, we don't know if those were from the production or if that's just Sony how they archived them, like with the number one. I can actually tell exactly how they archive at Sony. So they actually use an invisible mm-hmm. ink. So they actually write. They have because I, I I could oh barely notice it on the inside. So on the inside of the uh, 
on the bottom of the thrower for the superhero when you take the plate off there's that lip there on the it's actually written on there and because i pointed out i was like hey what is that and he was like oh you're not supposed to see that <laughs> details hey that would have been a perfect answer for a question we had about 15 minutes ago you're welcome you. well it just i just thought about it now because it wasn't to be fair that's not a that's that's something that sony added like 25 years later when they actually got everything back from uh planet hollywood it wasn't the thing that was actually in, in the prop on in the movie so so i'm gonna i'm gonna take this next question from j uh from joseph which is jason said he had a screen use proton pack from 84 in his house and that he was ashamed to admit that he treated it horribly as a child and destroyed it do we assume that this was winston's pack no no it was a stunt pack it was it was definitely one of the foam stunt packs that that jason brought home i uh i Actually, cannot i don't even know if it was a, a full pack from what i Red little could have just been thrower, just thrower. Yeah, yeah. It's it's highly possible it wasn't even screen used, but just an additional casting that was made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Mikhail, this one I I think would be great for you. Um, why would they go through the trouble of fabricating all metal parts for each hero instead of making a mold from the superhero and making resin copies like they did in Ghostbusters Two? It's strange that they wouldn't at least cast molds of the wands, which would have been way easier than fabricating all those individual metal parts. Well, yeah, that that would have been easier in a sense, but the uh, the reason that those wands still survive is because they were durable. If they had done Ghostbusters two style wands back in nineteen eighty four they would have been completely trashed at the end of production, and mm-hmm. particularly when you only have you know, they only built five hero packs, of course, that we know of. Uh, but, you know, so there isn't a lot of room for stuff to get broken because that can slow down production. And, you know, that's, you know, money is constantly ticking on a film set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actors are very, very rough on props. You know, you hand them something, they will utterly trash it if it's not welded, bolted, solid steel or whatever you know and on ghostbusters 2 we saw you know a lot of those props didn't survive so i think they had the foresight to know that these things have to be built to last mm-hmm. and um well and i'd also add too like uh they need to have electronics in them they needed moving parts in them like to do that with even if they did a, a like a two-part mold like they did for the semi-heroes in gb2 like being able to clean up the seams and be able to have them hollow enough and sturdy enough to actually have all the moving parts and fit the electronics and stuff mm. like that, I think is that a necessity just for the, the what they need the, the, them to do on mm. screen that they had to go with metal for at least the wand and at least with the the, the pack with all the metal parts. They, if they would have made molds of them, they would have been like they probably would have been solid resin at that point, and they would have been heavier than the mm. aluminum parts are now. So they probably for like they are already creeping in on how heavy they were because. I think they had like a motorcycle battery or something like that inside the original one. So that already made them extremely mm. heavy. So they were probably trying to cut weight down as well. Well, not only well, that, but like you think, of, you, you think about like uh, a production line, you know, like to me, it seems like it would be much quicker and easier to, you know, line up a bunch of aluminum tubing and just cut it in the, in the, uh, the length you need real quick, than worry about, making a mold and then having to do castings and cleaning up castings and all that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and if they had someone that was half decent at welding, it, it's probably quicker for them that yeah. as well. No, I mean, it's like, I'm not a welder, but I've watched, I have family members that weld and watching them do it. If like, 
they only do it every once in a while because I work in a body shop. Uh, um, but like someone actually is trained to do it and does it every day could probably like knock those things out, like all of them, at least all the parts on the pack within a day, and then probably take another like few days to do that. Right. Whereas if you were if you were making molds of those, like say if you made only one mold of a filler tube, you know, you can only cast one at a time, that's going to slow you down. Or do you spend all of the money and make, you know, ten molds of a bunch of filler tubes and then so yeah, just fabricating them, you know, a professional welder, yeah, can just knock those out. It'd be easy. Austin. Yes. What is one proton pack secret you wish you knew the answer to? Oh. I mean the GB1 ribbon cable. I want to know what that is. Yep. Like I would love to definitively like identify that and you know, fingers crossed, find a source for it. That would be lovely. That I, to me, that's the biggest mystery of of everything is what that ribbon cable is. So, yeah, that's my pick for sure. Yeah, I know that's a solid pick, Mikhail. How about you? For me, what I would like to know is what is the exact origin of the bumper? Because we know it's inspired by that radar assembly, but we don't know if it was if they made a if they made a master based on that, and then, I mean, we know it's, it's cast in resin, but if they made like, you know, a replica of that and then molded it, or if it's from a different radar kit, you know, like we, we see what looks like there might be some wood grain in it. So it's, it's really hard to tell, but I'd love to know what that piece is because it's so specific that it, it has some lineage to something, some sort of a bracket or something, but. I feel like it's probably scratch built. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's obviously inspired by something, mm-hmm. but as far as the master goes, I mean, I'm sh- surely they, you know, it's scratch built to to fit the shell that they made. Well, and um, then the little anomaly. It was actually in the photos that uh, I found when I that I when I photographed the Venkman pack is that you have those little lengths of copper wire. Yeah, the armature yeah. wires there, which I guess they would have he would have inserted those into the mold while it was still curing curing yeah yeah that's yeah you just you well and even like the semi-hero bumpers also had like foam inside yeah, yeah they, they they were like a really thin resin and then they filled them with that expanding foam yeah, yeah the armature wire to me it's pretty standard practice to just to reinforce it you know i mean mm-hmm. i don't know i i i feel like i've heard from you know professionals and stuff in the past that you know the resins they had back then were nowhere near as durable as they are nowadays mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean i can totally see them putting armature wire in it just to prevent them from just snapping you know if they bumped into something too hard or whatever matt same same question for you um i got i'm gonna cheat i have two different things uh the first one we know that the shock mounts a bellow i would love to know what i was actually at. yeah i feel like it's almost like one of those things where it's probably something ridiculous, like in the Star Wars uh, uh, prop building, where like um, like the top of the Obi Wan Kenobi uh, lightsaber is out of a freaking jet engine. Yeah, I have <laughs> probably I have something heard that stupid. The bellow like is out of a Volvo. And yeah. I've heard a couple different. It's definitely, a, I think it's a thir- it's definitely a thermostat uh, bellow. I think it is probably filled with a um, probably alcohol yeah. or something like that to, as it expands when it heats. Um, so that's the one thing. I just don't know what I would love to know what that is out of. Um, and then the other thing, which you guys actually talked about last time, because you stole from me from the previous time <laughs> when we recorded this, 
was the side knobs on the on the on the uh, which we'll call them the raid stance pack. I would just like to know if they were uh, uh, if they had knurling on them or not. Yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is definitely something I'd like to know the answer to. So five, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this one to all of you as well, but I'm gonna answer it first. Um, if you could spend an hour with one proton pack and in any time period, and we're free to tear it down for answers, which pack at what time would it be? Uh, there's there's no secret for me. I, I want to take a look at that superhero in 1983. I, I want to look at it from every single angle. I want to be able to open it up, see exactly how it ticks, what holes were original to it, how precisely everything was was put onto it. We, we have a lot of those things that are answered now, but um, so much of it is still kind of fuzzy. Um, Austin, how about you? The Race Dance Hero Pack, 1983 or 84. That's what I, I think want. this is also answering what our favorite proton packs are. Yeah, well. pretty much. Yep. Mikhail. Oh, I don't know. It's Spangler Hero Pack, probably, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1983 as well, 1984. Oh, yeah, of course. Yep. And uh, Matt, uh, you have a you have two <laughs> answers. You're going to cheat a little bit for this question. <laughs> I was going to say... Uh, superhero and Bill and the Murray pack back in 2014 would probably be my. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's because I actually actually did that anyway. Oh, here's a humble brag. No, for Matthew um... Burkett. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd probably it'd be probably be the race dance pack. Um, at honestly, any time, really, you know, it doesn't matter. I think for me, either now and being able to compare it internally to like other packs. Mm-hmm. That, that we know the internals of, or, you know, like 80, uh, um, in 88 or 89, or even in 83, you know, at any time, I would just like that to be able to actually like open up. And look. I'm, I'm surprised, Matt. <laughs> I thought you would have gone straight for the Omni pack, the Zed Moore pack. It's an interesting pack, but like, I, I'm, I'm partial to the race dance in general. I, I, but like the Omni pack is also very cool too. Um, and we don't, we barely know anything about it. I, and even like, I think there's like, only one shot in GB2 that that um, that uh, um, uh, Ernie Hudson's wearing it's when they're all standing in front of the firing at the at the art mm-hmm. museum, you know. And there's uh, and I think the only way we were able to confirm that was from the like the paint job on the booster tube or something. He has it in the uh, courtroom so, scene as well. Is it yeah, in the courtroom a, scene? Uh, I mean, you you can sort you can see it in a few distant shots, but there's a black and white behind the scenes shot where Ray is in the mm-hmm. background wearing the pack and you can see the two uh uh the rub marks on the power cell fins that are illuminated. Oh. oh i'm talking about the, uh, the, oh, the pack. Pack. oh yeah it, no, it, yeah there's there's only one shot i think that it's in, in gb2 no, no, it in no. the courtroom actually it's the shot where um where uh egon is getting the trap and he says ray behind mm-hmm. you and right because you can tell that the pack well that's that's the stance pack. no though. no it's not you can tell because it has the uh it has the the clippered hex on the ion arm, mm-hmm. so that means it's either okay. superhero or Venkman. It's not superhero because it mm-hmm. has the traditional mounting point in the EDA, not oh, the Venkman because it has the uh, the infilter label still. Mm. You can also tell it's a little fuzzy, but there's the painted uh, the bolts, the two bolts for the EDA. You can they have the same paint mm-hmm. swatches on them, and there's like one other. Uh, one other detail, but yeah, you know, I'll, I'll I'll have to find that screen cap up. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to screen cap it then because I I have like digital copies of the film. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look at that because I only thought 
it was in the when they're all standing there. And I thought uh, Ernie Hudson was wearing it when they're all firing at the art museum, and that was about it. Yeah, that's sadly that's the only like detailed shot of it in the movie. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to jump to the afterlife packs. Um, Matt, I'll give this one to you. What is your favorite part of the afterlife proton packs, and what are some of the details you think they could have improved on? So initially is the thing that I thought was the most dumb, but now I'm actually kind of like it because I've built built it now, but it was the um, spinning cyclotron. Mm. Like to me initially, I was like, why make it so complicated to have a spinning bulb on the end of an arm spinning around in there? Because that's super complicated compared to like four blinking LEDs. Um, but since I've actually built it, um, it's it, I, I definitely enjoy that now. I think one of the things I realized after building it was like, the benefit to it is that's a really simple circuit in the sense of like you're literally just putting power to a bulb and putting power to the motor and that's it and it can be 12 volts. So I can understand now why they might have done that because for ease of like wiring up and stuff like that. But from a construction standpoint, it's more difficult than just the LEDs, uh, like four blinking LEDs like a lot of fans mm-hmm. do. Um, but yeah, that's probably my favorite thing. Um, followed by uh, I like some of the uh, idiosyncratic like parts that were added to the Phoebe pack, like that uh, that cannon connector that is really hard to find and stuff like that. And even the shotgun grip on the on the wand is interesting to me because I like I've made one, but like I, I'm still curious if that was from a found part or not. Sure, Austin. I really like the heat sink on the side of the cyclotron or the uh, the sink generator. I think that's a mm. really cool addition. Um, the you know the 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 rat's nest of added wires around the clipper disc and stuff are something that took me a while to warm up to, but like I really like them now. Um, I I I like the the added visual, you know, it adds and in, in the the story it tells. You know, just Egon's doing everything he can just to keep this thing going. Um, and I really yeah, I mean just kind of all of the added details i think are really neat i don't i'm not so much a fan of the uh the ion arm switch i prefer the crank generator switch i think it's in a more accurate i'm air quoting here accurate spot to where egon reaches in the first movie mm-hmm. and i like that it's not so visible um you know so i think if they had kept that original switch i i, I would have preferred that and i really would have liked if they had kept or used uh replica legree elbows over the mm. smc but that's a it you know it's a tiny nitpick i mean for the most part it, the the pack overall has really grown on me and I, I i really like that iteration of it a lot so uh i i actually i'm opposite i like the switch under the ion arm um I always felt that that's where, where Harold Ramis was reaching to personally. Um, you know, I, I liked that addition. I liked the addition of the strain reliefs over using the, uh, Oh yeah. 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 Those are Um, really great. Outside of that, I, I hated that all the throwers now have orange hat lights embedded into them or their equivalent. Um, that, that used to always just be like my magic marker for finding the superhero. And now, Everybody will have it, and uh, I, I don't know if that's just me being upset that the superhero isn't as special, but that was one of the things I found a little little frustrating on the new packs. Um, Mikhail, how about how about you? 
Uh, well, I mean, a lot of the points uh, that you all mentioned, I mean, the heat, I, I like the heat sink because it's such a, it's this mystery part. I mean, maybe it's because we have them. We can, we can like the heat sink and not complain about it. Uh, uh, the strain reliefs are really, you know, when I go back and look at my other packs with, that just have the split loom boots, you know, they look kind of, I don't know, they're just not as fancy as those strain reliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love all of the extra wiring, you know, it gives it that really cobbled together look. Uh, I do like the switches now that I have them in the pack wired up. <laughs> Not like the first, but now that I have them, I can... Uh, what's it? What's the detail you didn't mention? Uh, I really like the, the new loom to the thrower with the uh, the scuba hose and the kind of the, the rubber hose, just that really cobbled together look. It's visually a little more interesting than just the split loom going into the, into the mouse hole. You know? Yeah. Oh, I also oh, didn't like. I actually, like the quick connectors too on on the. Yeah, I was just about to add the the wand connector, the the Nutric connector specifically. I, I think is a really cool addition, and it makes so much sense. You know, I was actually really sad that they didn't have them on the OG packs. Actually. Yeah, I thought the OG packs were a little light in terms of like they should have had the similar connectors and such. I liked the OG packs more, but I I think that's. I think my I like the Phoebe pack. I think it is a visually incredibly interesting pack. But I think one of the things I always like is when you go out into the community as far as like events is that everybody can have a pack that has a little bit of their own character to it, but still be accurate depending on what mm-hmm. aspects you're looking at. And now it's just like, all right, well, everybody has shotgun grips on their proton packs. Everybody has cobbled together, <laughs> you know, wires going to, you know, a, a clipper valve or that kind of thing. Um, as well, far as other details, I didn't like it. It really comes down to the construction. Uh, I don't, I don't like the welded on L brackets. That just seems dangerous to me. And how thin the motherboard is seems dangerous to me. Using Rothko frames seems dangerous to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I know time is, and money is a big thing, but I feel like that's something that a Hollywood studio would have been able to get genuine Alice frames. Um. Well, I look at it too, uh, you know, as with anything, especially like even the original props, these were, these were made to last the duration of filming. Yeah. That's, that's right. the only purpose they serve. So, well, and also Ben Eadie touched a little bit on the Alice frame issue and it was that, you know, they, they had to build about 20 packs mm-hmm. altogether and, you know, being able to maintain the same continuity because yeah, you, the logical thing, like if you had unlimited time and resources, get a bunch of LC2 frames and straps, you know, kind of the semi-hero style, those would have worked fine. But getting them all that are the same shade, the same hardware, yeah, I, I can see why they would want them all to all be uniform. You know, they just didn't have the time to hunt down, or let alone LC1 gear, you know, to hunt down all of that. I would have liked to see the super straps, though, mm. return. That's odd that we didn't get those. But um, Matt, this, this question comes from Ron Daniels. Uh, do you feel that the addition of special effects on fan packs such as vibration or exhaust detracts from a replica, whether it be accurate to a certain scene or idealized? Um, I prefer not to have all the extra bells and whistles, but I know a lot of people enjoy having uh, the venting packs and uh, even the vibrating motor 
the wand, but actually the the, vib the, the vibrating motor in the in the wand is now a screen accurate to the uh, afterlife pack. So oh, they had a vibrating yeah. motor. So technically, okay. yeah, yeah. So, um, but as far as I'm concerned, I I always try. I always prefer like it's the same thing with like electronics. As I was mentioning earlier, like I rather have my electronics look like what you see in the mm -hmm. film, even if it does isn't as exciting as what everyone else has. So I, I know a lot of people that have all kinds of extra stuff going in their packs, whether it's venting, whether it's like a um, uh, like a boombox mode where all the lights bounce and stuff to the to the music that you're playing out of your pack and all that stuff. I think the only thing that I add that isn't screen accurate is the audio, mainly just because you know if you're walking around a convention and seeing people, like they kind of want to hear the sound. Sure. So, but other than that, I, everything else, I you know I try to keep it to what was in the film as best I can. Um, our next question here comes from Lanny White, which is how do X-ray shells hold up to modern known accuracy? And uh, so my my existing pack that I, I no longer use is an X-ray shell. And um, they're really pretty shells. They're, they're, they're very, very pretty, but uh, they are almost at this point what I would consider an idealized, exaggerated shell in which proportionally you look at it, it's a proton pack. You know, there's there's definitely no doubts there. There's no glaring issues, but when you get into the fine grit of it, the the cosmetic fins are way too big. Um, I know for a while, Julian was trying to actually rehab an X-ray shell into uh, a more screen accurate piece and just got tired of grinding the fins down. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of the big takeaway. I, I almost wish I had another X-ray shell to build my IDW pack from just because its proportions are almost now kind of cartoonish with how thick the cosmetic ribs are. Um, but outside of that, still makes a fine pack. Still still makes a really, really good pack. You put some quality parts on there. Um, they're incredibly sturdy. Um the, the build process behind the X-ray shells is still pretty standard to how shells are made today, um, which is that resin gel coat with a fiberglass backing. And he, he didn't go too overboard or underboard with his fiberglassing. So you're going to have a very sturdy shell that's going to last up for years. I know mine um, is still rocking and rolling, even though I don't wear it anymore, um, and still looks almost identical to the day that I, I built it, aside from... Um, repairs such as you know i know matt you helped me put a new in filter on that guy at one point and of course a, a newer wand that actually the wand looks trashier than the pack at this point but uh um is this so the yeah, pack that, you built in like 2009 nine yeah yeah so it's yeah. the one i think i've i've witnessed i've witnessed you working on it and fixing it every time you've ever worn oh, yeah. it to dragon con with all 12 C-cell batteries powering the X-ray light kit inside. yeah, That's the last time I saw it. Last time I went to DragonCon, which was like 2017, I remember going up to your room and you were like scrambling to find a screwdriver to take it apart to change the batteries out. Yeah, that sounds about right for DragonCon. Yeah. I would love to see like three or four packs made from like some of the first generation like fiberglass shells that we had in the community. Like, you know, have one of Sean Bishop's original ones uh shells there as well as like x-ray shell same thing with uh was java monkeys a is that fiberglass or was that a that vacuum, vacuum form, form that was vacuum form i still have some remnants of a java monkey uh vacuum form shell i'd love to see a java monkey one and then hell we'll throw in another uh like one of austin's uh um shells too that he vacuum formed as well 
I would love to see like four of those packs lined up. It would be interesting. That would be cool. I've wanted. I've thought for a while of trying to track down people that still have older, you know, pack shells and resin parts and things like that, and kind of just my my buddy, my buddy Adam Marish, uh, his pack that he still wears. He actually got one of the first gen uh, Sean Bishop shells. Oh, nice! And uh, he very specifically he knows it's inaccurate, but he want uh, at this point, but he wanted to have it just for because he's friends with yeah. Sean. Uh, and I remember building that pack with him. And I, I made some corrections to the shell. Like I actually cut some stuff up and re- reinforced stuff just to kind of get dimensionally a little bit better or a little bit more accurate, but still relatively the same thing. It, it's uh, so that's one. That's one Sean Bishop shell that I know it's still floating. I just think it would be fun to to collect this stuff and kind of archive it as is. You know, don't build it; just leave them raw. But like, mm-hmm. kind of have a, a history of you know the evolution cool. of of where we've where we've come from. You know. I have some X-Ray and Ken Hugel bumpers in a, in a bin. Um, so this next one, this question is going to be hard really for any of us to answer. Um, it comes from Mike Witt, which is what's going on with GB fan shells? Was the mold sold off for someone else to make them or retired? Was retired because there are new, more accurate molds in the works? Um, unfortunately, Mike, none of us are AJ quick. <laughs> um, so that, that's not really something I could give you any kind of insight. Um, I know the GB fan shell, it, it's a based off of a biggie shell. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Matt? Yeah. Okay. That's correct. Um, but AJ always has a lot of projects in the works. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really sure. I wasn't even aware that he had stopped production on his shells. Um, but I would be surprised if he was done um, just because I'm always surprised at how often the GB fan shell gets overlooked. It's a nice um, shell. It's a really nice shell. It is shell. a nice shell. I mean, I know there's no video to it, but I have a game pack that's over here that I built that uh, I had permission from the people that made the original Biggie uh, 330 mm-hmm. shell. However, I was allowed to modify it to make a, a cast of So that the, the, um, the base of that pack prior to me modifying it was one of those shells. And then Matt, and I know you sold me uh, a Biggie shell. I, yeah which which yep. is going to be a pack one day one day um someday so i'm sorry mike we're we're unfortunately not the right guys to really answer that question um but i would keep your eyes out on gb fans or maybe send a message over to gb fans to see if there's an update on that. yeah i don't even know who who was actually producing those casting those shells for aj i don't know if he had an actual company an actual doing company. it or if there's a fan a listening nope, it's an actual company that was doing them so he was getting them professionally cast um okay. which is one of the reasons why I wanted to get one just because I mean commercial casting you're looking at a pretty uniform mm-hmm. kind of cool piece there um yeah, they usually use like uh, vacuum bags and stuff yeah. like that to do that uh these next questions come from uh Derek Osborne um aluminum wands Dan had mentioned a change in freaky uh freaky geeky's wand design uh what were your favorite aluminum wand runs and uh, on a personal note, and Matt, you might be able to answer this. How does the Crix Heavy Props wand hold up to modern known accuracy? Um, I actually have a wand from him coming soon, sooner or later. I actually commissioned him to do one right before Christmas. So I haven't actually handled one yet. Okay. Uh, so I'll let you know when I actually have it in hand. <laughs> so um, it depends as far as like accuracy goes it depends on what you're comparing it to are you comparing it to a gb1 thrower or are you comparing it to uh, an afterlife thrower because 
the most accurate afterlife thrower is one from RJ. Um, as far as like, if it's GB1 slash GB2, I, I, I still think RJ was probably making some of the more accurate ones, but he was, he was also like laser cutting some extra stuff, like to remove some material right. just to make it like lighter as well. So that's not accurate to the, how the original ones were made, but I know RJ is currently making commissioning. He's been commissioned to make some GB1 accurate throwers. So I'm curious to see how accurate those are when they, when they're actually done. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about, uh, the, the heavy props one, like I said, I have one coming, but I don't know how, we'll see how accurate it is. I look like in the photos I have, it looks relatively accurate, but I have to compare it to the other throwers. I have. Mikhail. I also have some other fan made ones from, I think I have one of my throwers is from JPA. Oh, I remember um, that. Yeah. And then I think I also have one for, from Vince Nordone as well, somewhere laying around as well. So, um, as far as how accurate they are, I've never actually set them all next to each other and, and taken measurements, but they like in hand, they feel pretty relatively accurate so mikhail have you ever gotten a chance to handle any of the heavy props aluminum wands or anything like that i have not no actually and and i i I have to admit on my packs i do not have any aluminum throwers i've i made my own resin throwers years ago i made a master and molded it but i'm i am looking to upgrade and get into aluminum but that's one thing i have yet to yet to tackle i know i'm such a rube (laughs) (laughs) Austin, how about you, bud? I've never had an aluminum thrower. I've only I've only played with other people's. <laughs> That's inappropriate. Well, you've played with other people's yeah. wines. Whoa. I got uh, the tips I to gotta... extend and everything. <laughs> oh! <laughs> um, I got to be honest. I didn't even know that Crix was making wands, so that was news to me. I know um, he was doing the aluminum parts for Ghostbuster fans, and. Um, they're good. I mean, they're, they're really nice parts. Um, so unfortunately I, yeah, I really couldn't comment on the heavy props wand because I've, I didn't even know they existed. Is that something that he offers or is that a, um, more of a, I mean, I have his personal email and, and, and and stuff like that. So I just email him like, Hey, well, it's cause we were like, I've, I've, he lives in, he lives out in, uh, on, uh, in Denver, Mm -hmm. uh, in uh, Colorado. Um, but I've known him for like, I don't know, 12 years now at this yeah. point. No, we... um, he still calls me baby girl when he emails me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I, and someone, I saw someone else post about in the, in the Spangler workbench that uh, he was making throwers. So I literally just messaged him. as like, Hey bud, I saw someone mention that you were making these. Can, can I get one? Cause I can't get a thrower anywhere else. He's like, sure. Anything for you, baby girl. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I have, I have one, uh, I'm just waiting for it to be done. So, so I, I have one more proton pack question and a couple of fun questions from the community that will wrap the episode up uh which is as as pop mechanisms go who's making the best as far as reliability and movement matches what we see on screen i mean i i make i think the mo- uh, most accurate ones to what was in the gb1 packs but i don't sell them so i i think i just well rj is the only person i am aware of that sells a pop mechanism but i have one of rj's kits for that and it's yeah pretty, pretty solid and well built you know a little little better engineered than the welded nails together and <laughs> yeah that's what i have better, in this pack better engineered <laughs> than um the push mechanism the screen throwers mm-hmm. use i think um i i think the pool ends up with a much more crisp snap Mm-hmm. to that barrel to the to the barrel pop and then keeps it in place a lot better 
Uh, whereas you can even see in some of the behind the scenes videos for, for Ghostbusters that the barrel would pop and then settle a little bit mm-hmm. just from that push uh, push mechanism. And that mechanism binds up a lot. Too. Yeah. Well, it's that just that so that's long, unruly spring. But I, I feel like there's other makers that are starting to get into I, barrel pop. I know throwing chicken, because uh, I'm friends with him on Facebook too, uh, is, is, is a personal yeah. uh, Facebook I, uh, page. And I know, he, I, I love he... Him. Matthew. Yeah, I know. I was gonna, but I was going to say that uh, I, I know that. Well, I don't want to like throw his actual name. No, out, I'm not asking I don't people. Like, <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> well, the point the point I was trying to make was he's been posting on his personal page of a 3D printed version of a popping mechanism that he's playing on making with his his latest version of his uh, his uh, thrower because he's also been showing pictures of uh, the 3D printed. Uh, mold that he's making as yes. well. So he's like creating like a new. So I, I, he's like he definitely has a couple of things in the work as far as when he's going to sell those things. So if they're going to be sold separately or together, I don't know. But he's definitely been messing. He with has. Them. He's actually, which I'm really excited about. That's one of the things I always love about throwing chicken, is that he's never rested on his laurels as far as his designs go, and uh, so it looks like he's warming up for the the TCB4 thrower which um, even though I'm not terribly partial to resin throwers anymore, I would love to get one just because I love supporting his work. I have, you know, some of his ghost traps and he just, he does really exceptional resin work. I don't think there has been anybody else aside from throwing chicken, uh, probably Nicotron that does such quality resin work as him. Um, I mean, even his molds are beautiful. They are. You know. Yeah, I think that's partially because of the three D printing he's doing for the, like the, the mold support. And stuff yeah. Like so some fun questions, Matt. How many proton yes. packs can you build before you upset your wife? Um. Well, I have I I built one last year for as a commission, and I've been building my uh my Phoebe pack. So, and someone asked me earlier uh, a month or two ago to build them three proton packs this year. So we'll see. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say at least three. At least three, yeah. <laughs> I think at least five. Uh, my wife's big problem is I have not finished her pack. Again, it's the weather. Mm. I have to have good painting weather. And she's like, oh, well, you you can work on this. And you can work on that. I see you working on your pack all the time. Oh, man, she gets me right over the what head. What kind of pack it. are you making for her? Um, it, it is a Ben of Kent 80% scale kit. Um, it's a really, really easy, accessible kit, and really you can bolt it together. But again, if you don't have the right weather, mm. um, painting it is is just out of the question. And that's the big thing is that it needs paint right now. Um, but it's a nice kit. I, I'm still throwing back and forth if I'm going to back up the shell because it's just a polyurethane casting yeah. with fiberglass. Um, but it's so small that I wonder if because it's smaller and more compact, it's contributing enough structural integrity rather than a larger pack so it's it's shock would go through it a little bit more i'm not i'm not sure um another fun question we go strap you to a a, a office chair and drag you around with it how, <laughs> if, you, if, if you fall on it how, how how it holds up Foam I fill it. For, <laughs> we'll film it and then never release the video of that yes spilled milk too coming soon <laughs> um <laughs> filming and 2014 <laughs> um another fun question from ron how do you decide on a name for your pack 
Do any of you guys name your proton packs? Not really. I mean, I, I put my name on the, the name tape that goes either on the Alice frame or for GB1, the mm-hmm. little piece of masking tape. I just put Len on it, you know, nothing fancy. I mean... See, see, my my issue is like I've been replicating specific packs, so I call them by the name that yeah. we as a community call them for the actual one. So, Dan, I don't know if you remember, I started a little trend back in like 2010 for a little while of people naming their proton packs and creating Facebook profiles for. Them. I still have mine. <laughs> I still have the one I did for the little mini pack, but I I don't have access to it anymore. But the profile still yeah. exists. Yeah, the the profile still exists for mine as well, and. uh I, I had uh, named it after an X, so now I just call it the big bitch. Um, <laughs> so. My first pack I named Kelly uh, after Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the right. Bell. I remember that. Uh, you know, so I believe uh, Ron Daniels named his pack Kira. <laughs> um, there was a handful of us that just like we all just started naming our shit. There was. And uh, looking back on it, I hate that we're admitting that. <laughs> uh, no, dude, I think we ought to bring it back. I, I almost want to like name one of my packs after like a, a username from like uh, GB fans from like 2010 or something like that. Just like the funniest one I could think of. Like the first one that came to mind was like Donkey Punch. Oh, no. <laughs> Shout out to Matthew with Sant here. He's not going to listen to this, but we're going to we're going to rub that in his face later. Well, he would start listening and then get distracted by a football game. Um, oh man, that was how about times. this is this isn't so much prop related, um, but it's more like the acting I would say from James Moore, which is proton pack firing style. Do you think the four original Ghostbusters ever discussed or compared how they would act the firing? Um, and given the four slightly different styles of particle throwing, ghost wrangling, all cannon, blah blah blah, how do you do it? He likes Fankman's and Spengler style most of all. Matt, how do you how do you fire your proton pack? Um, I mean, one one of the things that I, I remember hearing them, I forget exactly where I heard this from. It was either in the commentary thing or just like listen to Dan Ackward rambling on some web on in some interview somewhere, and is an autistic rant. Um, but they uh, you know, often the compare to like almost like firing like a fire hose. Mm-hmm. So I almost take a stance like that where it's like you lower your center of gravity kind of lean back into it and then uh i, I guess it's similar to, i guess how I mean, dan kind of holds it and dan Aykroyd holds it yes <laughs> dan's stance dan's stance <laughs> which is a little ironic because the thing i noticed when watching afterlife and it mm-hmm. it blows my mind but er- ernie of course is is putting an effort to to look like he's you know firing that's why he's in the foreground murray looks bored (laughs) well bill murray actually there are some shots but he's way in the background but he's making that like bill murray face that he makes when he fires you know like especially like oh shit yeah i was i was Um, upset that he didn't dick throw like he did in ghostbusters (laughs) 2 like that was always my favorite stance in the courtroom where he's got it's basically a follic extension of himself and he's just holding the thrower right yeah well it bothered me in afterlife he was he Holding it way too delicately, like with like three fingers, just kind of lightly holding the grip a bit. It did not look right. Well, and Dan Aykroyd, of all of them, seemed to just not do anything. He just sort of stood there with it, like holding it still. And I was like, Dan, what are you doing? You're usually the one that's like all into it. Probably because he already broke the damn pack. They probably told him, (laughs) just stand there. Don't do anything. (laughs) 
Well, stop breaking I, I stuff. I suppose from a directing standpoint, it it would have been weird, I think, for Jason to try to tell them how to fire the proton packs. I mean, you just yeah. you can't get that direction. Yeah. They're going to fire them. How you know they're the Ghostbusters? That's that's all they do. Right. Yeah. Could you guys pretend like we're paying you more? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, guys, um, that really wraps it up for uh, for session seven, our roundtable for the proton packs. Um, Matt, I really want to thank you for being here. Mikhail, also thank you. And thank you guys so much for, for coming out and re-recording this session. Um, I, I definitely believe that this was actually even more fun than the last time. And we had a lot of fun when we yeah. tried recording this the first time. Um, Austin, do you have any final thoughts? We will have to do this again on a different episode. That's on my a different thought. episode with a different topic. Exactly. Uh, yes. Mikhail, any final thoughts before we close this one out? Oh, not in particular. Just, you know, everyone keep building, keep researching, and just have fun with it. That's what this is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely agreed there. And Matt? Um, my only final thought is I know Austin wants measurements for uh, uh, the tripod traps, and maybe I can sort that out for him. <gasps> oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby girl. Because yeah. you... you because <laughs> i because i've handled the real one so. <laughs> and that that is all the room we have for matthew burkett and his humble brags and, um, <laughs> on this episode and, um, of black firehouse I've podcast handled the tripod traps and you haven't that'd be a good t-shirt <laughs> i would love to have that shirt and then we need to have one for adam made that says i i, I own, own them and you don't tripod traps <laughs> Well, guys, actually, so it's funny. Uh, Adam has always has commented that if he ever takes his ecto to a, a, a convention, he would want to use the tripod traps as like the marker, like the velvet <laughs> rope marker. Around I would it. like to know where that is so I can be the fellow that goes and steals the tripod See, trap from if, around his ecto. If I were him, I would I would put those out like on display somewhere, but I would I would label them as like as seen in the background of uh, Lois and Clark: <laughs> The Adventures of Superman. <laughs> And Star Trek. And Star is Trek. calibrating a transporter for Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, that is, we have gone way over time, but I, I think it was well worth it. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to the Black Firehouse podcast. Uh, session seven, our roundtable and uh, third part of uh, Proton Packs. You can always listen to us on Spotify, our RSS feed, or, um, of course, on, not Google. Uh, Apple, Apple iTunes, that's the one. Um, you can like us on Facebook, Black Firehouse Podcast. You can also take a look at us on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you want to join the conversation, you can join us over at Spengler's 1984 Workbench. Again, all of our reference material is generally pulled off of the amazing Ghostbusters reference library, which is also available on Facebook. If you like us, leave us a fantastic review. I can't wait to have our next episode. It looks like this one has successfully recorded. So in that, I will leave you with... Keep building something and have a wonderful day. As a duly designated representative of the city, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh? I'll give you a call. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Spring has gone bye-bye. For whatever reason, call it fate, call it luck, 
call it karma. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. For what purpose? To go into business for ourselves. Boy, the superintendent's gonna be pissed. We're ready.